And so this is the face that, oh, wait, I'm making markups now. Don't make it bigger, Ted. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is what I do. No. You've just drawn attention to it, Syl. You've just drawn attention. <laughs> this is... Like, when are you going to learn? He's, he's like, he's like our brother, you know, you, he you, is. I'm going to get a wedgie. He finds yeah. the weakness and then he goes in. Yeah. You fucker. I got you. You want to fuck on me, Ted? Profile picture. You want to fuck on me, Ted? Ted's fucking on me. Oh, That's a new bro. For me. bro, I do not play fair. What movie Just, is that from? Yeah, oh, is wasn't that it, uh. It was uh, the one where they went to Vegas, all the guys in the... Oh, where are the guys in the... Hangover. The hangover. You say that? Fuck on me? (laughs) This is why when we're waiting for our guests, this is the most dangerous part of our podcast is us three waiting for our guests to show up. The Hollow Buddy. And we all feel hollow. All right, greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. I am Sylvia Moyer, and my co-host is the lovely, the effervescent Kristen Zeman. We are retired police chiefs. We are students of leadership, and the Hollow Bunny Podcast, however, is not just for cops. This podcast is for anyone who has an interest in really examining leadership, evaluating leadership, learning more, and really diving into the life lessons, particularly, particularly, and I always say that word, and I always hate that I actually say that word, because I can never say that word, especially, especially, there you especially go. the life lessons of Kristen and I and our delightful guests. So what fills your bunny? Well, we dive into that with our guests, and Kristen is going to introduce our fantastic guest today. We are excited to have you. Yes, I am. Today we have on the podcast for our millions of listeners, Andrea Darlis. She is an Emmy-nominated TV and radio reporter, born in Oak Lawn. Oh yeah, I'm going way back, Andrea. Born in Oak Lawn and raised in Orland Park. (laughs) Darlis joined WGN in 1997 after four years at WJOL Joliet, 1340 AM. And the former WLLI in Joliet. She started in 2011 working part time as a freelance reporter for WGN Channel 9 in Chicago. And in addition to winning two Peter Lissigor, did I say his name right? Lissigor Awards? You absolutely. For did, her yeah. radio and television work from the Chicago Headline Club and five Silver Dome Awards. Dome Awards. My mind goes to a place there. Dome Awards (laughs) for Best Newscast from the Illinois Broadcasters Association. Darlis was named Best Reporter by the IDA Silver Dome Awards in 2017. And then uh, in a kind of plot twist-ish, after more than 21 years as a multi-talented and award-winning news anchor, reporter, and program host at Talk Radio WGN 720, she started in 2019 as Senior Director of Constituent Engagement at her alma mater, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, 
Ooh, go Illini. Uh, she leads universities' engagement and outreach efforts throughout the metropolitan, metropolitan area and serves okay. as public affairs and media liaison. Uh, she's also added podcaster to her projects. And uh, um, so, so she is a professional like we are, Sylvia, a professional yes. podcaster. So uh, it's through actually WLS 890 AM. It's called Show and Tell with Andrea Darlis. And it showcases Windy City attractions, including cultural experiences, plays, museums, and musicals. And, oh my gosh, you were inducted in 2019 into the WGN Radio Walk of Fame. Oh, I'm out of words. Welcome, I know. Andrea Douglas. And thank you so awesome. much for coming. Bye-bye now. <laughs> before before we begin, um, I do want to, so the two of you have never met, but you are both friends of mine, but I want to share something with you because it, it you know, I really find that there are things in our lives that bring us together and you guys both know what a big Dolly Pardon fan <laughs> I am. And both of you guys sent me this. Oh. I have two boxes of Dolly Pardon oh. cake mix and each of you sent me these are uh, uh, this is Love is this you. not kismet is this it's not like kismet this is serendipitous and all of those sexy words that you guys oh. i'm so happy that you guys are now meeting each other on our podcast and i'm going to bake you a dolly pardon cake well that, that is out sylvia great minds because Kristen. I thought Sylvia got you. We got you the coconut and the lemon, and we thought we were being so cool getting it at Dollywood, mm -hmm. you know, because that's where we were mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought you got her the lemon, so I gave her the coconut. So I will, I will give you your lemon. Sounds like so I don't know have... what I got her. <laughs> I know you're a professional cake maker. I mean, so you have to use the box of Dolly. Listen, it's Dolly, so yeah, I will totally use it. I just love that so much, but I got such a kick out of that. You guys know me so well. It just, it's just the best. So welcome to our little podcast. Don't be nervous because we have so many listeners. Probably Dolly Parton is listening, wouldn't you say? Probably. I would assume. Why wouldn't That's she clear. be? I mean, she's... She's got to take a break from filming her Christmas special yeah. to watch the Hollow Bunny. She needs she needs a break. Yeah. So so Andrea, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. We wanted we're trying to really get a vast array of people, and I love the idea of having people from different professions, different industries, and of course, journalism, media goes hand in hand with you know law enforcement and that transparency right. and accountability. And so you know, I'm I'm a big fan of media, and I think that you guys are. Uh, suffering at times through the same thing that law enforcement is this, you know, identity crisis. And, um, you know, people really, you know, put us all sort of in the same, you know, in the same disparaging place at times and, and a bit unfairly. But, but before we even get that, tell me what exactly did you want to do and be when you were growing up? Was this, was this what you've always wanted to do or did it, you know, take a turn for you? Well, first of all, thank you both for having me because this is a lot of fun. Kristen, I've known you for a long time now. You're one of my dearest friends. Sylvia, I feel like I know you because Kristen <laughs> always uh, speaks so highly of you. Um, but yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a reporter or a journalist. When I was in fourth grade, we took a tour, our school in Orland. We went to the Tribune Processing Center. It was called the Freedom Center. At, at Chicago and Halstead. And that's in the old days where they had the printing presses. And I thought that was so cool and so neat. And I saw, 
you know, there, there was a, like a mini newsroom there and there was a man sitting in the corner kind of by himself at a desk, like the school desks that would lift up. And uh, I said to the tour guide, what is he doing? And again, this is fourth grade. And they said, oh, well, he's the co- he's one of the copy editors of the paper. He checks for, you know, spelling and errors and, you know, grammar mistakes, uh, grammatical errors. And I thought, oh, I'm so I'm good at spelling. And I had won the third grade spelling bee at Prairie School in Orleans. Ooh. So I thought I'm going to be get this, you guys. I'm going to be the copy editor, what a- the one, the copy editor of the Chicago Tribune. So I wrote an essay the next year in, in elementary school about how I was going to be the copy editor of the newspaper. And I, and I look back at that now and laugh, you know, it, it was fun, but I always, I, yeah, I always had a, you know, and, and my dad was a big news hound and my mom is presently, you know, a big news junkie. And we always, we've just always enjoyed the talk shows and the news programs and current events. So I always knew I wanted to be uh, a reporter or a journalist, you know, and it has Kristen changed. I know we're going to delve into that. Yeah, for sure. Boy, back in the day. I have to ask yeah. Sylvia, do you subscribe to any uh, newspapers? I do. Yes. You do like paper papers? Uh, one paper paper, but then okay. I, them, I subscribe to several electronic. Okay. You brought, yeah. you brought up your mom. And this is why I just asked that question because yeah. Andrea's mom is so adorable and she cuts out news articles so whenever i made the paper in the chicagoland area she would cut it out and send it to andrea but my favorite is that she would write little notes in the margin she still does she still does and i just think that is the cutest thing and so now whenever i see someone in the wild reading a newspaper if they're like on a plane or anywhere i stop and i just say i'm so happy that you have an actual newspaper in your hands because i just missed that but i love that about your mom Oh yeah, she and she still does that. She reads the paper, you know, cover to cover, except the sports section. She's she likes the Cubs, but she's not a big wow. sports fan. So she'll read the paper cover to cover, and she does. So we eclipse out the articles, and she adores Kristen. And when for everything from when you know you became chief through Pratt through present day, you know, through your book signing and whatnot, she'll clip it, and she will write little notes. And for a while before Kristen you um, were one of the finalists to be Chicago police superintendent. She would write, she should be the superintendent. (laughs) You know, she would write these little notes and she, she would spend probably $5 a week in postage sending me the clippings probably of news stories that we'd already called but wow if you only know. your mom was the mayor and could have hired me <laughs> yeah. uh, wow. oh hmm if we could go backwards in time so that's um, it. in the way back that's the another way back. story you know that's a remarkable thing because now what do we do we may just screenshot something and send it electronically my mom did the same thing i have just boxes of cute little notes of articles of interesting stories that she read. And she'd always send me a little note. It's really a remarkable thing that we are losing. And yeah, yeah. that's, that's cool that she did that. And I, she's got really good taste in superintendents. Gotta say. <laughs> and, so, and, yep, and she's she not really into sports. So she's totally my spirit animal. <laughs> um, so, so Andrea, then how did you make the, you know, you started in radio station. So then where did you pivot or how did you pivot into television? Because that was one of my favorite things is on Sunday mornings. And I still you know, relish those days of Sunday mornings, grabbing my coffee and I would turn on WGN and Andrea would, would be on my television. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you were in my bedroom. Uh, don't be weird about that. Oh, uh, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. So how, what was that? What was that transition like for you? Was it purposeful or did it just fall in your lap? 
You know, it was purpose. It was a little bit of both, Kristen. I had um, so when I was in when I was in college, I had a couple of radio. I had my first radio job was at the college station. It was a classic rock station, and we got five dollars per shift. Ooh. So it was a three or four hour shift. So after taxes, it was like four eighty two. So that was my first paying job in radio as a DJ. And then I had a couple of internships at two different stations in Champaign, and then I did a TV internship which was a station called WGBO. It was channel 66 back in Chicago. And it usually, before it was a Spanish station, it played a lot of reruns, you know, of Three's Company and the Love Boat and, and shows like that, 70s type shows. And um, so I really enjoyed that. But then, you know, and I was, when I was looking for jobs out of college, again, it was 1994. So I was looking for, there were radio or TV jobs. So I was sending out cassette tapes and um, three quarter inch and VHS tapes to TV stations. And radio happened to be the first that bit. And that was the station in Joliet. And I ended up being there for four years as a reporter, then an anchor, and then the news director. Um, and then in 2000, I was working for WGN for a few years. And we kind of started this um, synergistic role with the Chicago Tribune. So the Tribune owned um, the Cubs, WGN Radio, WGN TV. And it was kind of at that point where we started thinking, you know what, we can use some of the TV reporters on radio and some of the radio reporters can voice some of these exclusives for the, the newspaper and they can appear on this thing called the Internet. <laughs> you know, so it was still breaking through and kind of becoming, you know, this digital world that we're living in right now. But it was new back in 2000. So I had started freelancing for CLTV oh, and that was an offshoot of Channel 9. And I work there with so many friends right now who are currently on Channel 9, like Sean Lewis and Ben Bradley and uh, different different people um, who are behind the, behind the camera too, photographers and producers and desk editors. So I worked at CLTV for about five years freelancing, and then they moved their shop to Channel 9, and I was promoted to the morning anchor on WGN Radio with Spike O'Dell. So I work with Spike O'Dell and Mary Vandeveld and Ann Maxfield and all these big names. So I kind of turn my focus back full-time to radio. And then in 20, 2010, my dad passed away. And I had always talked to my dad about going back to TV. He's like, why don't you try it? You know, why don't you try it? So I approached the news director after my, my dad had passed away in uh, tw late 2010. And he said, you know what? Yeah, you, you've done some work for CLTV. Why don't you try working here in a part-time role? So I started back at, at TV in 2011 while still keeping the radio job. So it was like a concurrent position. So I'd work at the radio station in the morning and then go to the TV station. And then um, in 2016 or 17, 17, I believe, they had me do the weekend break full time. So I did that for almost three years, just every weekend. Yeah, It was great. It was it was tough working seven days, but yeah, right? I mean, so much fun, so much fun. Yeah. So did I get it right? Were you in the field as an investigative reporter? I did some investigative reporting for a while in radio. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that we kind of, we go ahead. We wore so many different hats at that radio station. I mean, back when I started, so you would report, you would anchor, you'd write stories for the web, you would do series reporting. I mean, you would, and I would always tell students that, you know, the more you could do the, the, more valuable you could make yourself, the better off that you'll be in your career. Sure, and that that field reporting is so unique. I'm sure Kristen had a similar experience. The the stringers, the guys that were out on overnights, and I was a, a graveyard watch commander, 
And I established a relationship with them. And so they knew me by name. I knew them by name. I'd say, fellas, you just wait right there. I'll be back in this amount of time because I knew they had a need. Right. Mm -hmm. And I always told them, I stand up on the curb. You stand down in the gutter so that I'm a little bit taller, you know, and we (laughs) and and they really they write. And so so establishing that relationship and having that trust, understanding my role, understanding their role. We had a great relationship. And, and both right. were filled and it was very respectful. Did you find that hard to do or was it just, it seems like it'd be natural for you. You're just, uh, you know, I just that, and I'll tell you, you and one of my first news directors, again, this is, and I'm so dating myself, but, but you know what, 1994, it was my first job out of college at this radio station in Joliet and the news director for one week, I shadowed him and, you know, and he was an old time and I don't mean old in age just an old time reporter and really taught us you every morning you wake up at four o'clock and you go to the police department. So we had three stops every morning. We, our first newscast was I think five 30 in the morning. So by four o'clock you'd be at the Joliet police department and you'd go through the reports, like the paper reports and look for things. Mm -hmm. Then you talk to the watch commander. Then we'd go to the Will County Sheriff's department Hey, you know, how's it going? Talk to the watch commander, that interaction, that face-to-face. I know nobody does this anymore, but that face-to-face. And then we go to the jail, the Will County jail. Anybody booked overnight? No, all quiet. And you build those relationships and you build that rapport. I mean, and that's why, you know, I I still have a great relationship with the Will County state's attorney because I I went every day for four years to that, you know, to that county, those county offices. And you sat in the courtrooms you know, and you went back and you talked to the bailiffs. And I mean, there was just that boots on the ground, like hardcore reporting. And I think that is what's really lacking today. The, the, in yeah, that face-to-face relationship. And a lot of people are saying they feel like clickbait. You know, in, yeah. in policing, it's like, okay, yeah, I just feel like clickbait. You're going to do some. Absolutely. Yeah. So go ahead, Kristen. No, one I was going to say, I think you you guys hit on something here that is so important. And the thing that I learned throughout my entire career in law enforcement was it's all about relationship building. And, you know, and it's funny because there's such a parallel here in law enforcement as far as transparency and accountability to the public. And I, there was always people that had such an issue with reporters asking questions. And I never did because number one, the truth always finds its way, no matter what, right? And so if you're just transparent from the beginning, and sometimes that means that you have to stand up in front of that microphone and say, you know, to you guys who are asking the questions, you know, this was not our, uh, the very best of us. This was, you know, we went wrong today. And, you know, because you're going to find out anyway, but there was always so many people with the, the first thing I learned is, you know, never say no comment, just just tell the truth, say exactly what you can in that moment. Because again, the truth will surface somewhere. It always, it always does. The light is always shine, you know? And so I I've developed those relationships by saying, and there's sometimes where it's, listen, here's the investigation. We can't talk about it yet, but when we can, the, you know, then that's where that relationship was built. And so when there were reporters that said, all right, I will wait, you know, but it was, it's just such a, it's a give and take. And it's a, it's a choreographed dance, which is so interesting. It that I think you you explain you hit the nail on the head. It is a choreographed dance, you know. And I feel I so feel for not being in full, not being in the media full time anymore, um, and and looking at just things through a different lens now. I always I feel as though who, the the two 
groups who will always be blamed for something are the police and the media. Yep, absolutely. So it's either blame the police or blame the media. Mm-hmm. I'm watching a mini series, a mini series right now on Netflix, and it's it's the same kind of a thing. You know, it, it's dark. It's the Jeffrey Dahmer, mm-hmm. you know, the ten, mm-hmm. the docudrama right now. But at one point, the police are just being blamed for dropping the ball so many times on this particular case. Then in the next segment, well, it's the media's fault because the media portrayed it this way and they should have portrayed it this way and been more sensitive. So I literally just had this discussion the other day and I, and I said, boy, the, the two professions that are just really, I don't want to say under fire, but under that microscopic lens are the media and the police right now, you know, and I guess, yeah, I, I just, I wish, you know, I wish there could be more of a, a partnership between the police and the media, but you know, I know the police sometimes see reporters and there are bad reporters, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there are, mm-hmm. there's bad apples in every single profession. Um, but there, you know, I just wish there could be more of a, um, you know, a partnership between the two. Yeah. You know, and you know what, another parallel that just struck me as you were talking, we, and I think the reason it, there, well, there's many reasons why law enforcement is vilified, you know, and you see that in the headlines, but, you know, we look to our law enforcement to enforce laws, um, consistently, uh, with equity and fairness without applying bias, um, and any of those things in the application of upholding the law, Right. Well, we look to reporters and journalists and media to provide just the facts and full transparency without adding any bias. It's a, I could say the same sentence yes. for both and see that's where we both go wrong, right? And that's where people right, look right. to us unfavorably is when we start to add all of the talking heads and the pundits and the opinions and it's like, stop, let's just report the news. And that's always been my favorite is just let me decide, you know, especially in the media. Right. When right. I You tell me what happened and let me formulate my own opinion. And I feel like we're getting right. so far away from that. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Kristen, I speak to, to journalism students and for 30, almost 30 years, I've talked to, to students and, you know, they're filled with just enthusiasm and questions and how do I get an internship and how do I break into the business? And this last time I spoke to a group of students, I was met with just this headbutting. And I, I said, I've always been, you know, I'm a very true, tried and true journalist. Like, you present both sides of every story and let the viewer or the listener then form their opinion. But you have, if you, to be a balanced journalist, you have to give both sides of every story. And I was telling this group of students just that you have to give this side and you have to give this side. You have to give the police side, the prosecutor side, you know, the victim side, the victim's attorney side, however, however it is. And these, there were two students and they said, well, why? Why? And I said, what do you mean? Why? If you want to be a reporter and a journalist, you need to give both sides of the story. And one of the students said, well, I don't want to. I want to I want to be able to give my opinion. I think as a human being and as a person, I should be able to give my opinion. And I said, absolutely, you should be able to give your opinion. And that's why you should be a columnist. Exactly. Or a an op-ed or have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Write a blog. Exactly, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Write a blog. That's, that's your role. But... That is not the role of a journalist. That's why you need to be fair and balanced. Mm. You know, and I don't see a lot of that, unfortunately, sometimes. Mm. No kidding. Okay, so I, I got to ask you, and it's in print, right? The the Washington Post, the first time in its 140-year history, came up with a slogan. And it is this, democracy dies in darkness. Mm. And I was so struck by that because yeah. I was struck by it for a number of reasons. At a time where... Well, I won't explain all the reasons, but I will just kind of 
ask you, does that resonate for you? And if it does, how? Say the quote so, again. So democracy dies in darkness. And it's the first time in the 140 year history of the Washington Post that they actually adopted a slogan. And it was after all of, all of the uh, condemnation of the media. And so they, as I understood it, as I read it, it was that they decided that they wanted that to be their slogan because democracy prevails when all the facts see the light of day. Yeah, that is true. Democracy does prevail when all, prevail when all the facts see the light of day. I agree with that. I think, you know, whether or not they should come out with some sort of a slogan. Ooh. I don't know. Again, maybe I'm going back to the old school of, you know, just just report the facts. Just <laughs> oh, report that's the an news. interesting take. But you know I what? like that. Yeah. But you know what? It, it, it is funny. If you go back and you look at some of the old Tribune columns or the old sometimes columns, you know, they'll be like, uh, Mrs. Zeman was wearing a, a red hat as she walked into the court, you know, so there, even the old newspapers, there's a lot of, you know, intricacies and just different portions of the story yeah. that they tell that, are they really relevant to the case? Are they really relevant to the story? So I think, you know, when we hit the, the times of like Walter Cronkite and Edward R. Murrow and, you know, even Diane Sawyer, you know, who is a big idol of mine, you know, I think we did transition to a, a place of fact. Um, and then, you know, I, I just don't like to see the laxness, the, the lackadaisicalness in reporting anymore. As uh, as my son would say, beat change. Let's uh, uh, change direction here. because. <laughs> um, so I did some research because um, I wanted to see as far as like, you know, I know that women in policing, uh, law enforcement, we are 12% um, and we've remained that way for uh, many years. There hasn't been major fluctuations. But in broadcast news, so starting with radio, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I was blown away by this. First of all, the first um, female disc jockey started in 1912. Her name was Sybil Harold, and and she was a DJ. She really it wasn't like talk radio, but she would play her uh, Victrola records on her husband Charles radio station. So that was like the first known DJ, right? And then this is great. You guys are going to love this. I want both of your reaction to this. So and then in 1922, several female voices started um, being heard on radio stations, talk radio, and they were called hostesses. But the broadcasters complained uh, that the tone quality and speakers made women's higher pitched voices sound shrill and audience audiences didn't like or trust women as announcers and only they said only male voices can speak with authority so then they did a survey in 1926 with 5000 respondents and they determined that listeners of both sexes preferred the male voice by a margin of 100 to 1 what? Oh my god. So I want you guys Isn't both to stop insane? talking because your voices are shrill and annoying to me. <laughs> Ted, would you like to oh, Ted, would you like, like to wait? Really, <laughs> it seems like a really good time for me to chime in. And I can yeah. take it from here. Yeah. I'll just, your voice, Ted. I, Maybe we should all just right. mute ourselves. Can we, Ted, could you well, this, speak to us with authority and credibility and just let us <laughs> shrill away? I would be happy to. Well, when did uh, women's suffrage, was it, was it 1921, 1919? I mean, we're talking, this poll was seven years after that? Yeah. Women didn't even have a yeah. vote, you know, 
for, exactly. for a decade when this poll came out. I so know. And nobody it's, likes change. And so that's what that's all about. Yeah. Okay. So you're okay I with our voices? Like, right. I sit on the um, Museum of, Broad of Broadcast Communications Board and I was doing some research. It was uh, last year was the 100th anniversary of radio since radio was invented. So I was going back and we were putting this um, a couple of panels together. And I said, I was adamant for Women's History Month. I said, we need to have some of the top female hosts in Chicago. It was so hard to find female hosts. And I went back and I was doing a little bit of research too. And I thought, you're not going to believe this. The first woman who to have her own radio show, it was Kate Smith and it was 1931. So a full, however many years after radio was invented that a woman even had her own show. That is so interesting. Which, and what is yeah, she talking about that day? Yeah. yeah right, we, well, maybe. Oh, there, oh what, what right. could a woman possibly talk about? Toast. <laughs> I'd like to tell you how I make my toast. Right. And even when I was at WGN, and this, and this is, you know, and this is not any sort of a knock because, I mean, I spent almost 23 years there. It was one of, it was my, you know, my blood, sweat, and tears, my heart and soul for all those years. Um, there were, I could count on one hand at one point, how many females were on the air. Yeah, because that's another interesting fact that I uncovered during my research is that most women were hired as program managers. And so they would line up the guests. So present day, uh, there present day there are uh, thirteen thousand seven hundred radio hosts currently employed in the United States, and thirty nine point three are women, sixty point seven are men. Does that surprise you? No. Okay. Now it doesn't. It's unfortunate, but it doesn't. On television, though. Uh, this is fascinating on television news anchors. I only looked at news anchors cause I got tired of researching cause I'm not a researcher. Um, but 51.3% of news anchors are women and 48 are men. So they outnumber men on television. Like what? That's yes. crazy. That's so interesting. What do you make of that? I would, I would almost think that the, that the percentage, at least the percentages would indicate that more people enjoy watching women on television and hearing men on the radio. Mm. And that's just a guess because of the numbers, just because of the stats. I would say so, that you're right on. I, I gotta say, and what's so striking about that is I watched that movie Bombshell that, that described the women, oh, yeah. Megyn Kelly and the women who took on Fox. And I was so struck by what they were made to wear. I thought, oh my what? God. what? Who who does that so, as, as credible... Uh, as a as credible journalists, they're made to be uh, sexualized. I thought that's just fascinating to me and really sad. There are two former reporters at CBS2 in Chicago, Aaron Kennedy and Mer Megan Glaros, and they no longer work there. And they just came out with um, a, a story. I don't know if it was a blog post or a story or an article. And they had released some of the memos that they had gotten and this is within the past 10 years. This isn't even oh, going no. back 30, years. Is this going to be horrible? And wait, oh listeners, listeners, hang on to the side of the treadmill. Or <laughs> it was, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have to get the article for you, for yes, you please. ladies to post, but it was things like, you don't dress for your friends, you dress for air. And there was, there was a list of things that they were not able to wear or were supposed to wear. 
Hmm, fascinating. Ted, has that happened to you where you've been told to wear a leopard skin? Um, it is in chaps, neutral. right? You want to get the chaps mm -hmm. in? Well, I was just going to let you fill in the blank there, but has that ever happened to you? What is it like for appearance for men? Well, uh, Andre and I could just hijack this conversation from here because, <laughs> you know, I've always thought about with men, it's a uniform, right? Mm -hmm. Suit top, suit pants, shirt and tie, boom, done. And I've always right. wondered, and I think we saw this in the 2016 election and the run-up in Hillary, and just what can a woman wear that is acceptable to everyone? The mm -hmm. pantsuit wasn't acceptable to everyone, right? Because it's not feminine enough. And what is she supposed to be doing? Wearing dresses? Is she supposed to be wearing skirts? And for men, it's like, it's so easy. You know, we mm -hmm. just put on a suit and tie and we are done. And I've always felt bad for the... You know, for the females who've got to really think about, are we going to wear sleeveless on the air? Is that is that too much or should I wear, you know? And it's it's just not a question for men. Okay. I will say, though, um, this is good. We're going on a totally other tangent, but it's fascinating to me. I have noticed, so since the inception of HDTV, and um, I've noticed that more men are taking their appearance um, a lot more seriously. And I'm, I'm, this is a kind way. I'm not sure I'm weighing my words here, but a kind way of saying like, there are people like that are, you know, getting some stuff done, you know, and, you know, doing some little pinches <laughs> and stuff, you know, and I'm seeing more men that are saying, Oh, heck yeah, I do that because I'm on camera and it's HD. And so, you know, and, and women have told me that too, but is that something that's relatively new or have men just really are just like, whatever, like, do you think about appearance in that way that we do? Because that's what I think is if I get invited to my first thought is what am I gonna wear or how am I gonna, you I know? Wear? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, like do you, yeah. does your head automatically go there or is that just a luxury that it doesn't even live inside your head where you're, you don't even think about that? I don't have to think about it. Oh, and it, God, it, that's it, infuriating. Yeah, and, and when, mm. when men grow older in the TV industry, they become more distinguished and more trusted. Yeah. And women get shipped out the door, yeah. right? Not necessarily all the time. If you've established yourself, then you're going to be able to, uh, to hang on yeah. there and and have a career you've got a name brand but i mean andre you know exactly what i'm talking about here women can age out of this business men yeah. don't and absolutely. it might be changing and that's still now, prevalent. okay absolutely i really think i i think you fit 100 percent, ted i i really do i think you know if anybody it might not be said you know outright but i do think yeah i mean there is a, unfortunately there is this you know you do Time out, and, and that's just evident in not getting hired for certain mm -hmm. roles or prominent roles anymore. Yeah, we call it a shelf life in policing. It's <laughs> yeah. like you got a little shelf it's, life. And is it? You know what? That that's a great question. Is that the same for women in policing? Or no? You know, that's that's an interesting. We've never really discussed this. I mean, I haven't seen that. Some of the most prominent, you know, well, maybe maybe I have, but some of the most prominent women in law enforcement, you know, uh, are, are certainly retired. But you know, I look at you know Kathy O'Toole, who's just as relevant today as she was when she was you know, the, you know, commissioner in, in, in chief, she was Boston, Seattle, you know, but as far as a chief's job, but I would also say that about men too. I don't know that, um, you know, that you'll get, you know, a gentleman, you know, coming in later years in, in the same way. I think I would say policing and correct me if you've got a different idea about that, Sil, but I think that it's kind of, I, I really think that it's on par for both genders. What do you think? Yeah, I would say the age really doesn't seem to be a barrier. Physical fitness does mm -hmm. seem to be a barrier because I think oh, folks right. want to see someone 
that could perform the functions of the job. We talk about it. And you know, in reporting, those are long days. Media, it's long days and you have to have an endurance. It's one of the things that is understated quite often in terms of a leadership necessity. You have to have endurance. And it's not only endurance physically, but it's emotionally and intellectually. And so that is really important. And having a physical fitness kind of standard, I think, is where you get some senses of judgment there. Totally. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. So beat change again. Okay. So now I just want to dish. So when you are on the air, because you are... Um, a magnificent interviewer. And I don't say that because you're my, my pal, my mate. Um, you, when, when you get on a radio show with Andrea podcast or whatever it may be, or when she interviews, it is the most seamless thing because as she's talking now, I just, it's like, you know, you just, this gift that you have that you just engage in conversation. So I'm, I've never had to do that. It's been interesting. So being on this podcast is like trying to to learn the finesse and it's a lot harder than it looks. And that's why I tell people uh, that Syl and I are just trying to suck at something new because this is, you know, interviewing people. So I've also noticed, and my question to you is this, is that there are, there are some people that I think are so fascinating on paper. And then when I talk to him, I'm like, oh God, no, I can't invite them on the podcast. What do you, do you know what I'm talking about? They can, they can like be so accomplished. And yet if they're not interesting or if they're monotone, if their inflections are flat, it's like, it's like almost even like a college professor. I I don't care how smart you are if you've lost my attention. So when you, do you vet people before they come on to determine, you know, and let's just talk radio because, you know, television is totally different, but you know, do you vet them before they come on, even though they are a person, you know, with, you know, that may be prominent with high competency and, or, and then let's say they do come on and they're just so boring. Like, how do you pull that out? How do you pull out personality? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I, so I've always loved interviewing and I've always been the type of an interviewer that I will never, ever back a guest into a corner. Yeah. Um, I always want, whether it's radio or TV, um, and I know you said just focus on radio, but you know, especially with, especially with TV, all of my interviews, I always try to pride myself on making whoever it is feel comfortable because it's not an everyday occurrence for somebody to be on camera. It's a little, um, less intimidating being on the radio because you can just sit in your pajamas or, you know, sit on your couch and do the interview TV. You have to have, you know, the, the appearance and, you know, present well on camera and not have not shift. And so I've always just kind of wanted to make whoever I'm interviewing comfortable. Um, and then be changed back to radio. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so I don't vet, you know, if I'm interviewing somebody, I, I find them interesting enough where I think I can, I can pull it out of them. I think I can pull the best out of them because it's interesting to me. I want that. I want my show to sound good. I want them to sound good. You know, I want it to be win-win for everybody and make them comfortable for their next interview, you know, and then maybe have them back on any given day. So, you know, um, I'll vet the people who are kind of long form or maybe in a feature kind of a role, but if it's like a newsmaker or like an alder person or, you know, um, a senator or somebody like that who I was interviewing, um, they're going to, they're going to have a little bit of of shine at just my job to kind of polish it up, Ah. you know, and I always try and ask questions that will... Um, be open-ended where again, they can bring out, bring their best, bring their A game, 
and have them look good too. Because again, that's going to be, that's what people want to hear. That makes for, that makes for good radio and good TV. That makes for a good interview. Yeah. You bring the best out of someone. I don't think people understand what a skill that is to draw that out Oof. of people. Right. So, I mean, oh. think about that is like, what a skill that takes for you to, you know, talk with someone who is not comfortable. This is not their forte. You do this all the time. You know how to fill in, you know, all, all of the white space and, but what a skill that is. Yeah. You you guys are too kind. <laughs> you guys are too it's kind. And you do power. you guys you both do a great job. It at is this. a superpower. You're so right, Andrea. It's a superpower. Oh. So Andre, are you you got now that you're you working, you know, at U of I, does this um, you know, and you but you haven't left the business. I know that like you left for five minutes and then you yeah. just that I, I mean and I know so it's like it, it pulled me back it, in, Kristen. And, and I guess that's the, the question is like it's just you can't quit it, can you? Because it's like it's it's almost like policing. It's like this uh, the adrenaline rush that you get knowing because you have that high stress it's like you've got to tell the story it's different every day you have new guests on you have to build you know the package you have to um after i learned what the package was i was like why is everyone calling it a package? Uh, <laughs> you with your tv talk me. i know um so if anyone uh, is taking applications uh but so it's like like <laughs> is that it's just this thing that you've chased it for so long and it is it's like adrenaline is that why you decided i'm gonna i'm gonna do both because you do have the best of both worlds right now i do i have the best of both worlds so i left full-time uh after again 23 years at wg and radio I had the opportunity to go back and, you know, this was right before COVID, right before George Floyd and all the riots that, that occurred uh, in 2020. So, I mean, I left before all of this happened and I had the opportunity to go back and work with work for my alma mater, the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, for a former news director of mine. She was my very first news director in Champaign and we had stayed in touch and she's one of the, the best news directors, news writers, news anchors, news people that I had ever worked for. And she said, come work for me at the U of I. Um, and this kind of goes back to your vetting question, Kristen. So now I work for the U of I in public affairs um, with a cool, fancy title. And um, I, I'm responsible for putting the chancellor on the Chicago media stations and all of our experts, professors. And I will, you know, speak to because their, you know, their role is mainly in the classroom and speaking. So I want to make sure before I put an expert on Chicago media, they're prepared and they're trained. So in that, in this, in that case, I'm kind of going back to your previous question. I will vet, you know, and, and talk to them and make sure they're good to go. Um, but as part of my role, I said to my boss, who who gets it and has been so wonderful and so understanding, um, I said, you know, I, I still wanted to keep a show that I did at WGN called Andre and the Reporters and Andrea Chicago. And I would just talk about different things going on in Chicago. And I would interview reporters from different stations, TV and radio, just about the business and our backstories. And, and it really was a great, um, it was great. And then COVID hit, uh, the riots hit and, and everything really kind of changed. And everybody who I worked with at, at WGN was either gone, they let go or they were let go or they quit. They went to different stations, they left the business and many went to WLS radio including the program director now and a lot of friends, Steve Cochran, Pete McMurray, Kim Gordon had, had just kind of shifted to that station. Um, so I talked to the, my former program director and my, who's now the current program director at WLS. And I said, what if we get a podcast going again and call it show and tell? And it's lighthearted and fun and talks about all the plays that are going on in the city and all the museums and different exhibits and festivals and um, you know, immersive exhibits, you name it. If it's cultural arts, entertainment, 
we feature it. And I interview just all, all different folks, um, at four or five a week. Okay. For my pause. Podcast, which is now, okay, yeah, pause. which is now a show too. Okay. Pause. Yeah. So basically I'm going to reiterate how this sounds to me is that you get to go to all of these amazing musicals and you get to meet the actors what? and you get to interview them, uh, all of the, they're celebs in my mind. Um, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like, if I had to do that, I would not be able to speak because I would just be starstruck at some of the people that you get to talk to. So what, what an amazing job that you get to do is number one is to uplift the arts and all of these amazing things happening in the city of Chicago. Talk to those people who are bringing this beautiful art and putting it out into the world. And that is your job. I mean, do you just, do you just, <laughs> stupid. oh my God, I have the best job in the world. It is. It's fun. It keeps me still in radio. You know, I, I, I do it on the weekends. It's a blast. It's fun. I really enjoy it. Um, and again, we, we, you know, we, we were behind, we were quarantined and behind closed doors for 18 months some of us 20 months, you know, so when we reemerged, everything had changed, you know, not just news wise, but just the way we observed and, you know, the, the world around us and our culture and our arts and entertainment scene. And it was the first time we were seeing these immersive exhibits like Prince and Van Gogh and Frida Kahlo and, you know, and now so many museums, remember you used to go to the art Institute and you couldn't touch anything or you couldn't now so again, you know, the, COVID was a game changer in a positive way in this sense that when we reemerged and I said, let's, let's start interviewing these people, you know, for all these different ideas and creativity that they've come up with. Um, so that's kind of what we do now. We, you know, to kind of go back to it. Um, so it is a blast. It's fun. Um, just, it's just seeing things through a different light and a different perspective. And, and I hope giving people just an appreciation of everything great that there is out there, especially in Chicago. Oh my God, of course. Well, you are, uh, I mean, truly, I know that you are one of the biggest fans of Chicago as am I, I mean, but you are, are yeah. you truly, um, you know, just epitomize, you know, the, the, the culture there. And it's just, it's so amazing to talk to two of the, the strongest women I know. And I love that we could all get together here. So thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you and all that you do for uh, the industry of media and journalism and all that you continue to do. And of course, uh, for your friendship, I love and adore you. So thank you so much. You guys both, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you guys. And thank you, both of you, for all you've done for policing, keeping us safe, everything that you've done for your profession and for women, because I was just in an event right before this and I apologize for my lateness it, to have strong women. This is what we need to do. Women, uplifting women, promoting other women, because this is mm. really, we get things done. I, we do. I'm going to keep that as the last word. And, and I'm going to say that also we love the support from Ted Madden. This podcast is produced by him. And the song that you are about to hear is written and performed exclusively for this podcast by my handsome and talented son, Jake Zeman, and his accomplished friends, Fabian Guerrero and Zoe Replinger. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and review it and tell everyone you know about it. If you don't, just move along. There's nothing more to see here. <laughs> Bye to our millions of listeners. Bye. Bye. Are you content to fall behind?
hollow body And we all feel hollow sometimes But the lobsters are all in your mind It's a tough pill to swallow But if you're brave and kind You'll be alright If you find the hollow body Tame the imposter inside instead To change the world you've got to start small It takes a leader to say I don't know it all And I know I'm gonna fall But I'll pick it up and come back stronger Failing forward and moving under Doing the hard thing and the right thing Forever fighting the hollow But empty within, someone's gonna crack. You've gotta start again. And we all feel empty within. Someone's gonna crack. You've gotta start again. The hollow monster is alive.